Welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, your source of information for living the best years of your life, your way. For more than a decade, host Jim Brogan and his expert guests have come together each week to share important news and advice that can impact the lives and well-being of those who are retired and those nearing retirement. Learn about issues like health and fitness, financial planning, social security benefits, investment advice, and more. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Good morning, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. And you know, 2020 has just been such an unusual year. It's just been unique for anything in my lifetime. Legislators in Washington have been hard at work trying to provide support to citizens as we navigate this global pandemic and the impact on the economy. Uh, One of the most impactful uh, things for individuals and small businesses was, of course, the CARES Act, which was passed in March, which provided the Paycheck Protection Program stimulus checks. We've had expansion and unemployment benefits. And in the midst of passing that legislation, our government has still tried to focus on initiatives that will change the lives of U.S. citizens for the better. Uh, We are very honored to have one of our U.S. senators joining us on the show this morning, Senator Marsha Blackburn. Senator Blackburn has been in the political arena since 1999 and has served as senator for Tennessee since her election uh, here a couple of years ago. Uh, Good morning, Senator Blackburn. We truly appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule to join us today. Jim, I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. I'm going to dive right in, Senator Blackburn. I know this is your second year as U.S. Senator, and these past two years are so completely different from each other in terms of the types of challenges for both businesses and individuals nationally and really all over the world. What has been the biggest challenge for you as a legislator this year? Oh, the biggest challenge this year has been time management and getting everywhere we need to be when we need to be and then repositioning our schedule so that we are working virtually. And last year, Jim, I was in every county in the state and had the opportunity to do meetings in every one of those counties. And this year we're having to do them virtually by WebEx. And uh, we still are getting through all the counties, but I'm telling you, it is something that we're working on a little bit differently. Also, with COVID-19, with the tornadoes that we have had in the state, the high wind storms that we've had in Middle Tennessee, we are doing a tremendous amount of casework with individuals who have unemployment insurance issues or they have Medicare issues and so our office has been very busy with those with those components. Yes, ma'am. There's uh, so much going on. It's just unbelievable. Luckily, with the technology we have, you know, uh, you know, you have great tools at your disposal to stay connected to citizens. Now, uh, Senator President Trump named you to his congressional task force on the reopening of America, and the country has been divided on how to pro- approach reopening with balancing. You know, Americans' health and lives versus protecting our economy. How difficult, Senator, has it been to form a safe reopening plan that also protects the economy? Well, this is something that we just jumped right into. 
and said, okay, we're going to work with our uh, governors. We are going to work with all of our mayors, and we're going to get this job done. And that's exactly what we have done. And I will tell you, I think that our governor has done a terrific job. And as everyone in East Tennessee has seen, listen, they are just working. They're abiding by the physical distancing, the personal protective equipment. They're cleaning. They're making certain that restaurants and schools and daycare centers and environments are safe and clean for people to come back to work. And, you know, it's been a team effort. The federal government certainly has their role to play, but the governors and the mayors are the ones that are going to dictate when different communities are going to move back to being open. Now, with the president and the work we're doing there, we're looking at how we deal with China and then how we institute plans that are going to help our economy grow. And indeed, I've had the legislation that would bring pharmaceutical manufacturing back to China. It is very popular. It is bipartisan. It is bicameral. It is um, a way to incentivize that production coming home. And we have institutions of higher learning in East Tennessee that have raised their hand and said, Marsha, if you get this signed in a, into law, we want to partner with these pharmaceutical companies and access some of this grant money. And we anticipate that you'll see places like ETSU and UT and different higher education centers work with places like Oak Ridge Labs and national um, pharmaceutical companies to say, how do we bring this pharmaceutical manufacturing back and make certain we never get put in the situation of being beholden to China. Yes, and you're referring to, I guess, the Security America's or Securing America's Medicine Cabinet Act, correct? Yes, I am. The SAMC bill. And SAMC right. uh, is, as I said, bipartisan, bicameral. And as we have focused, you know, COVID-19 really was a three-part crisis. Economic, of course, it's a food crisis, and it's a health care crisis. And one of the things that we have to do is make certain that we find new ways to deliver health care. We have to make certain we have the medical supplies. We have to be certain that our food supplies are met, and we're looking at domestic production. And then we have to look at our economy and making certain that our banks and financial institutions are strong and can take those stress tests and that uh, we have Americans getting back to work, to the workplace and earning that paycheck. Now, you mentioned the Health Care Access Center, Blackburn. I know that better and equal health care access for rural parts of Tennessee and really all over the country has been a big part of your work over your career. And you recently were recognized for the Alliance for Patient Access's 2020 Champion for Patient Access Award for your commitment uh, to patient-centered care during the pandemic. Tell us more about your work on rural health care accessibility and the future of telemedicine. Yes, and I was so honored to receive that award and really had not expected that. 
but the work that I have done on expanding high-speed internet and broadband into rural communities, the focus that I've put on unserved, uh, the development of what I did called the Rural Health Agenda. It's a three-part bill. It would allow for freestanding emergency rooms into communities that do not have a hospital or have a hospital that is closed. And we are working closely with the governor and our Tennessee state reps and state senators to push this forward. We also have a provision in there that Senator Durbin out of Illinois and I are working on, and we've been recognized by the Rural Healthcare Coalition for this, and it is the Rural Healthcare Corps. And Jim, this says that if you're a healthcare professional, all the way from nurse to MD to psychiatrist to dentist, and you practice medicine in a rural area for a five-year continuous period of time, then your your student loans will be forgiven tax-free. Oh, wow. And this is, yeah, this would incentivize those healthcare professionals into these areas that are struggling. So you have your, your freestanding emergency rooms and healthcare facilities, and then you have the professionals that can staff those facilities. And the third part is telehealth. And my telehealth language, that part of this agenda, actually came to be through the CARES Act. And I know many of your listeners have probably had someone who has a complex medical condition or an elderly individual who uh, a home health nurse or someone in the family has been able to FaceTime or Skype them into the doctor's office and their appointment has been handled virtually, or maybe it's an expectant mom, and they have had some of their their, uh, appointments handled virtually. The reason they are able to do this is because uh, the CARES Act took in my telehealth bill that allows those appointments to be done virtually and the physician to be compensated for that time. And we, of course, are encouraging our state legislators to pass a state-based telehealth bill so that Medicaid can, um, the TennCare programs can pay for these virtual businesses. You know, really, telehealth was seen as a convenience prior to COVID-19. And through COVID-19, people started looking at it as a medical necessity and a safety issue for those individuals with comorbidities, complex medical issues, and our elder population. Well, and in fact, telehealth services now are covered under Medicare, which is a huge deal. It is. Listen, I was so excited uh, to see that happen because they had not been prior to COVID-19. And in the Center for Medicare Medicaid Services, there is a section called 1135. And when Vice President Pence and Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burkett first came to us, um, I was the first one to be able to ask a question. And I said, I implore you 
to waive this section and to institute telehealth and gave some examples in um, rural Tennessee of where it would make a difference in East Tennessee, in West Tennessee, where we have communities that are unserved, where we have a large elder population. And I've been very grateful and very appreciative for the vice president and the administration's response to my colleagues in the Senate that have scooped up my telehealth language and put it into the bill and implemented it. And, you know, it's the reason the Patient Access Coalition recognized me because of the incredible amount of work that my team and I did on behalf of Tennesseans, which has benefited the entire country. Yeah, I think the, the development of access to health care has just been absolutely fantastic. Uh, Senator Blackburn, it's just the, the, the way things have evolved in 2020, and, and now we've got all the racial unrest and with all the police uh, issues that we've dealt. Tell us your position. Do you think that we need uh, police reform across this country and even in Tennessee? Yes. You know, we uh, had the Justice Act, which Senator Tim Scott, who is an African-American U.S. Senator from South Carolina, had um, brought forward. And we were terribly disappointed that every single Democrat voted against moving forward. Well, there were two Democrats that voted with us, but you have to get 60 votes in the Senate and we never got to cloture. And they did not even want to get on the bill and have a discussion. They would not vote to proceed to a discussion of police reform. And we all support our our police, our local law enforcement, our sheriff's departments. And standing with that thin blue line is the difference between chaos and calm in our communities and our This rhetoric of defund the police is ridiculous, and we need to be putting more funding into our police and law enforcement. We need more resources for training, and you know, it's important to realize we had the opioid epidemic and still do, and we have COVID-19, and now we have peaceful protest, which is good, But this rioting and looting and anarchy and mob rule is not the way to do things. That is a crime. And we have have to have law and order. We do. And, you know, our police need more resources. They need training. We have 50 different police academies. Every state has their own. And right now, there are 50 different standards for training. There are 50 different pathways for certification. There is no national database that says that, you know, if a, an officer has been decertified, that here is where you go to check an officer's certification. That doesn't exist. That needs to happen. We have been working with police chiefs and with sheriffs on what needs to be done. Senator Scott has worked on this bill for five years. Five years. And the Democrats do not even want to have a discussion on it. So yeah, I think all... We... Go ahead, Senator Blackburn. I'm sorry. No, we, we, know, we know that it is important to have this discussion. We know that uh, 
Tennesseans want to see us do some things that would strengthen the police presence. And some of the Democrats were saying, oh, well, Tim's bill doesn't ban chokeholds. Well, it does at the federal level. But here's the deal. If you are a mayor and you do not want your police force to use chokeholds, then you ban chokeholds. And if you do not want them to exercise no-knock warrants, then you say our police force will not execute no-knock warrants. Now, these are things that these, in most of these cities, are have Democrat mayors and Democrat city councils. And if they had wanted to make those changes, they could make those changes. Yeah, because really it can be done at the local level, right? I mean, that's been a big part of the discussion is it's really a local thing that... And the the, gov- yeah. the president working with the governors, working with the state, the local mayors, and then filtering down. I mean, we're all about state rights, correct? That's correct. And this is something that can be handled as, and should be handled at the local level. And um, we need for individuals to realize the Democrats want a federalized police force. That means you as a citizen of, say, Sevierville or Knoxville or Johnson City, you would not be in control of your police force. The federal government would be. And, Jim, here's the thing to remember. When you dial 911, that call goes to the dispatch center that is right there in your community. And that is where help comes from. You are not calling Washington, D.C., and you're not calling the state capitol. You are putting that call into the dispatch center in your local community. And that is how the police or the sheriff or the fire department or other first responders get to you as quickly as they do. And many times it's a matter of life and death, and you want to keep those calls and you want to keep that police force local. Well, Senator Blackburn, you've been so generous with your time this morning. I want to thank you so much, and uh, thank you for your hard work in Washington. Oh, I am so delighted to join you, and I hope your listeners will go to our website, blackburn.senate.gov. Sign up for our newsletter. We send it out every single Friday, and that's a way for Tennesseans to keep in touch with what's going on in D.C. that affects us in Tennessee. And they'll also find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So be in touch. Thanks so much, Jim. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Thank you, Senator Blackburn. Now, coming up next, after our break, we have Tennessee State House Representative Jason Zachary from West Knoxville. We'll be talking about issues at the local level, both in the state of Tennessee and here in Knoxville. So don't go away as you listen to more Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
listening to More Living with Jim Brogan. During the week, Jim is a financial advisor, an author and speaker with an MBA from the University of Tennessee who specializes in helping people in or near retirement plan for the next phase of their lives. You can reach Brogan Financial during the week at 865-862-6800 or on the web at broganfinancial.com. And now, here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. Uh, This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We just spoke with U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn about her work in the U.S. Senate during this challenging first half of 2020. And our next guest is Tennessee State House Representative Jason Zachary. He represents District 14, West Knox County. Thank you, Representative Zachary, for joining us on our show this morning. Jim, thanks for having me on. It's good to be with you. Absolutely. It's great to have you. Now, this is your second term as representative in the Tennessee House. What is your favorite part as you've gotten kind of acclimated in Nashville? What's your favorite part about representing our district? Well, thanks, Jim. I'm actually, and I'm actually going in. This is my third term. I'm finishing up my third term. Time flies. Um, but I, I would say probably okay, my the best. No, no, no. You're good. The best part, the best part of doing what we do. And, 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 uh, Congressman Burchett said this to me right after I was elected. He said, working in the state legislature is the purest form of public service you'll ever have the opportunity to do because it has zero to do with money. We make $21,000 a year. We make, we make less than county commission and the school board. And we work long, hard hours. Uh, we finished a, a 19 and a half hour day on the house floor, uh, when we finished up session, uh, last week. But the best part of it is being able to make an impact and an immediate impact in people's lives. People reach out, especially over this last couple of months, people reach out in desperate need. And because we're not the federal government, because we don't have just the big cogs that move so slow as 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 that happens with the federal government, because I have to work with Congressman Burchett's office, Senator Blackburn's office. I work with them on on a weekly basis. But in state government, we're efficient. People care. People are passionate about helping Tennesseans, and I really, it surprised me when I got elected how quick and efficient that we're able to work in state government and resolve issues for the people of Tennessee. Um, and that's, that's my favorite part, being able to help people. That's why the Lord's called me to do this, just to, just to be able to impact lives and to be able to do it as efficiently as possible, because I know you just had Senator Blackburn on, on or you talked to Congressman Burchett. There's just a real frustration with them because it takes so long to get things done at the federal level. We don't have that problem at the state level. Are we perfect? No. But, man, we do things really well in Tennessee. Well, so really what I'm hearing there, Jason, is at the state level in the in our, in our house, it's really kind of serving government at its root level of what really kind of how we started back in the late 1700s is kind of what I'm hearing you say. I mean, it's you know, not a lot of compensation. You're just truly representing constituents and, and us here in, in Knoxville. Yeah, and, and it really is, Jim. I really do think state government is how our founders intended government to be. It should be for a limited time. Uh, most people in in uh, West Knoxville can't support a family on $21,000 a year. So obviously, I obviously have a full-time job. Uh, we we're full-time from January to May. So I'm gone all week. I leave my family, leave my business. I'm gone all week, every week from January till May. But then when May is over, we become part-time. And then I just have the opportunity to speak or 
take calls and emails as they come in and just do the things to help and, and, and help within the community. But I don't have to go to the Capitol uh, every week. And so it gives you the opportunity to continue to talk to people at Walmart and Kroger or Seasons, wherever you are. People are constantly coming up, which I love. They're asking questions. But I really think that this is the way our founders intended it to be because I, I, I told people I'll, if, if I'm going to have the opportunity to serve, I won't serve longer than six terms. I'm finishing up my third term now. It doesn't mean I'll go six terms, but I term limited myself just, and, and I think most people in state government do that because it's just not something you can do for 25 or 30 years, kind of like some of the people in Washington do, uh, just because it's not intended for that. And over the last couple of years, I think in the 110th General Assembly, we had 20 new freshmen out of 99 in the House, and then this year we're going to have another 10. So you're talking about just in, in two terms, 30 to 35% turnover. Uh, and in Washington, uh, the average uh, the average politician spends 19.5 years in that office. And so it's just very different state government. Now, in 2020, uh, Jason, the spring was rough, to say the least, with all the pandemic stuff we've had. <laughs> you know, the spring tornadoes near Nashville and Chattanooga really devastated some of our areas. What kind of aid yes. is, is Tennessee providing to victims of these natural disasters? Yeah, and, and it, Jim, what the unfortunate part about this year and just the, the way this year has gone is that those in Putnam County, those in Davidson County who were so impacted by the storms, unfortunately, in some cases have been overlooked by Tennesseans because of COVID, because of the, the challenging environment we have right now with, with everything that's going on um, uh, with the uh, with protesting. And so Tennessee has stepped up. Tennessee has has provided immediate financial support to those communities. Uh, we've provided manpower, uh, entities like Samaritan's Purse, even locally, uh, First Baptist Concord, where I attend. Our disaster relief uh, team has been involved in both Putnam and Davidson County. Uh, the Tennessee Baptist Association has also been involved. And so part of what we've done in state government, and, it, and, I re, and, and as you saw it under Governor Haslam, but it's really taken a big step forward with Governor Lee, is when we have natural disasters, when things happen within our state, we look to be a facilitator as government and really bring in the nonprofits and bring in uh, the, uh, the uh, private sector to help be, to meet some of the physical needs because that's, I mean, the church, the nonprofits, that's what they're there to do. That's a mission. And so we've really seen a shift for us in government where we begin to pull those resources in. And now in terms of financial, obviously, we've, we've done tens of millions of dollars in relief. Uh, uh, the, uh, the president declared a, a state of emergency for Tennessee. And so that freed up resources. And, and what that does when people hear that, when they hear a state of emergency declared, it really cuts red tape and allows government to just to move quicker than they normally would because you don't have to jump through some of those regu regulatory hoops. And so Tennessee's done all those things, but it is important. I'm glad you brought it up. It is important to remember those uh, in Davidson and Putnam who, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars in damage. I was in, uh, I was in Nashville when that tornado hit my hotel was uh, literally uh, two-tenths of a mile from where the tornado hit. So, I mean, oh, I wow. was up that night. I heard it. And uh, so, I mean, those people are rebuilding their lives. And we've got COVID. We've got protesting and all these things going on. But I'm glad you brought it up because it is important to remember those. And Samaritan's Purse and the Tennessee Baptist Association and many others, you can still donate 
to uh, to help the people people in Putnam and Davidson. And Putnam is one. It was just Cookville, Putnam County. That's one not to forget because uh, one of my good friends is the rep there. And, man, Jim, they were devastated. So many of those people lost homes and businesses. It, it, it was devastating. It's very tough. Hey, we're repre- we're uh, visiting with Tennessee State Representative Jason Zachary. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the reopening in Tennessee. What do the economic numbers look like? How is this likely to affect the Tennessee budget, which, of course, has to be balanced? We talked to the Knox County mayor often about here in Knoxville. What about the state of Tennessee? We're also going to have our dollars and cents segment. Has the IRS just this past week on Wednesday provided more relief for those uh, that, that have required minimum distributions from their retirement accounts in 2020? So we got plenty of stuff. Stay with us. As you listen to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Through his weekly radio show, television news appearances, and adult education classes taught at the University of Tennessee and Pellissippi State Community College, Jim taps into his extensive knowledge and experience to address issues important to living your best retirement. Join Jim every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. here on Newstalk 98.7 WOKI and visit him online at broganfinancial.com. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan, and we're, we've been visiting. We had Marsha Blackburn on, U.S. Senator, uh, in the first segment, and we're now we're visiting with uh, Tennessee State Representative Jason Zachary, somebody I've known for actually quite some time. We used to attend church together back uh, many years, several years ago. It's great to have him on, talk about local issues. Uh, before we get back to Representative Zachary, it is time for Dollars and Cents. Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? For all the years of your retirement? That's the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan and our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. The IRS this week has granted broad... And quite frankly, surprising rollover relief to all who took 2020 RMDs from their IRAs, 401ks, and other company plans. You know, this is a big deal. You know, the uh, CARES Act uh, waived the requirement to take minimum distributions this year from any kind of a retirement account where you have an RMD. That includes inherited IRAs. Uh, So anybody that's 72 years or older, you would have had an RMD. And then, of course, inherited our, uh, IRAs. And the, the, the problem was when the CARES Act was passed is what about those people in, in late March is what about those people who already took their RMD this year? Or what if you were taking systematic distributions like you were getting, uh, you know, a monthly check or a quarterly payment to add up to your total RMD by the end of the year? How do you undo that? And the, the IRS had previously provided limited relief where if you did it after February 1st, you could have until July the 15th to kind of undo that and do what is technically a 60-day rollover, where you can put it back in, and they extended the 60 days to July 15th. The problem is, under IRS rules and regulations, you can only roll over one time 
every 12 months. So if you took multiple payments, you couldn't undo all of them. And if you took your RMD before February 1st, you couldn't undo them. And on an inherited IRA, you're not allowed to do a 60-day rollover. So there was nothing you could do if you took an RMD. Well, this new rule changes all of that. Any RMDs that you have taken in 2020 can be put back over, or excuse me, put back into your IRA or 401k or other qualified company plan. It is considered technically a 60-day rollover, but you can do multiple uh, rollovers. So if you took four payments or three payments, you can undo that and send those back. And you've got until August 31st to do that. It's really the first time the IRS has ever passed guidance that really, frankly, is outside the scope of what the law says. Uh, I'm not sure what the long-term precedent of that is, but it certainly helps taxpayers this year. Now, if you took your RMD and you had, let's say you had 20% income tax withheld from it and sent directly to the IRS, how do you roll that back over into the IRA and undo it? Well, you, you'd have to come up with outside funds. If you don't have the outside funds, you could still do a partial rollover with what you can put back in. What this really does for many people that are 72 years or older is it gives you an extra year here to do very effective tax planning. You know, many of you with large retirement account balances, these are large taxable distributions you have to deal with every year. And it drives up your income tax bracket for ordinary income and potentially for long-term capital gains on investment. So now you've got an opportunity to do more tax planning this year, maybe do some Roth conversion planning. I know many of you in the community I talk to are very concerned about the future of our income tax system with all of the relief that the government is providing in stimulus and the debt that we're accumulating. So Roth conversion opportunities, there's also opportunities to maybe realize long-term capital gains in a 0% tax bracket or even 15% may be a great deal. So be sure you know what the rules are. Check with your CPA if you need to. You can always call our office at Brogan Financial. And uh, not only with how to handle the distributions you've already taken from your retirement accounts, but then how to implement effective tax planning through the end of 2020. This morning, we're visiting with Jason Zachary. He's the Tennessee State Representative for West Knox County. And we're talking about the kind of the status of everything locally after we visited with Senator U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn in the first segment. And Jason, you know, COVID-19 really brought the state economy to a halt in March and April. Mm-hmm. And unemployment numbers are way up. What kind of impact? And the Tennessee has been very, very healthy, as, as good as in, 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 in one of the top states in the country fiscally. What kind of impact is this potentially going to have on the state budget coming up? Yeah, Jim, it, it's been significant, and, and you you mentioned it in leading into that question. Is fortunately Tennessee, according to U.S. News, we were ranked the number one fiscally stable nation, uh, fiscally stable state in the nation. We're the most fiscally stable in the nation. Uh, we have the lowest debt of any state in the nation. We have the third lowest tax structure per individual. On and on and on, I could go on. We're literally in the top three in every major economic category according to U.S. News and a few other publications. So that prepared us well, just like, our, just like your personal finances. When you prepare and you got a, a, a rainy day fund, we've done the same thing in state government. Uh, we have been lean and mean. 
And because of that, we've experienced growth uh, before COVID hit, I believe, and, and I don't have these numbers in front of me, but I believe in February of this year, we had a 7% growth over the February of 19. So Tennessee, because we don't have an income tax and we've been such good stewards of our resources, we, our, our economy has just been fantastic. So what that did moving into COVID, everything came to a stop. And that the last week we were there in March until our two-month recess, we literally had to cut a billion dollars in a week. And so you might think, gosh, a billion dollars, surely you can find a billion dollars. When the budget's already almost completed and then you have to basically hit the brakes and cut a billion dollars in a week, uh, it, 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 was a, it was a challenging time for sure. And so since we came back, we just, we just finished session. We just finished uh, session for the 111th General Assembly. Uh, we just finished that last week. And uh, the budget, we had to make some significant cuts. Um, we cut roughly $2 billion total uh, when you look at the budget. And unfortunately, because of the hit the economy has taken, because we're driven by sales tax, uh, revenues don't match, match expenditures. We're roughly looking anywhere from a once the final numbers come in at the end of the month, anywhere from a four to six hundred million dollar shortfall for the year, uh, we still balanced our budget because we're constitutionally required to do that. And we're always going to do that in Tennessee, but we had to use reserve funds. We didn't use the rainy day fund. We used reserve funds, which are one-time funds, uh, to be able to do that. And we've got a plan in place over the next two years to structurally move back to structurally balancing us where revenues match its expenditures, and. Um, so we've cut everything from, my goodness, uh, uh, any raises, no state, no raises for uh, we get a cost of living adjustment raise. So for, whether it's the General Assembly, whether it's state employees, uh, the governor instructed all agencies to basically withhold 12 percent of their budget uh, that will go back into the general fund. And we're hoping that's only a temporary cut. Uh, but depending on what the economy does, it may need to be permanent. And so, th- so, there's, so there's, those are some of the things we've done. Um, it, it was a very challenging um, last three weeks of session that we finished up in June. That's why we had a whatever ended up being a 19-and-a-half-hour day, our last day, um, because everything went into the budget and not having the final numbers and then just making sure we were as fiscally conservative as possible, uh, it presented real challenges. But we're still able to fully fund education. Uh, med- the 10 care program is still fully funded. We're able to still fully fund everything that impacts Tennesseans. Uh, but we did have to make some cuts, and we cut roughly $20 million. Another big cut was $20 million in uh, positions that had not been filled, and those positions now won't be filled because there's a hiring freeze. Um, so I could go on, but those, I don't want to put that on put your listeners to sleep. But those are those are some of the things we've done to make sure that we're uh, fiscally moving in the right direction and over the next couple of years can move back to a structurally balanced budget. Jason, how do you feel about Tennessee is so fiscally sound and then you have other states that are not fiscally sound how do you feel when you hear these discussions about the federal government bailing out states that were not fiscally sound prior to the pandemic versus a state like tennessee that's we we're, we we have our house in order better that's right jim that fires me up because it is not the federal government's responsibility to bail out irresponsible states new york is the poster child they had six billion dollars and they were running six billion dollar deficit a $6 billion deficit going into COVID, and then they're trying to use COVID and their mismanagement of funds for Tennessee to bail them out. Man, I, we, we as a state legislature have talked about that. The governor has talked to the president about that, and we are adamant and, and, and fully supporting the president saying no 
bailout, federal bailout dollars should go to poorly managed states, whether it's Illinois, whether it's New York, whether it's California. And there's a theme to all those states, Jim, just to get really political for a minute, is they're all run by Democrats. Their pension plans are broke. They spend more than they ever take in. And then they look for somebody to bail them out. And Tennesseans, and we've sacrificed when Governor Haslam came in, we had a budget that was being balanced with one-time funds. It was structurally not balanced. We had to sacrifice. We cut regulation. We cut expenditures. And because of that, our economy grew. And we've, 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 we literally spent 10 years preparing for a day like today that we knew would come. And Tennesseans, Tennesseans have sacrificed to be, able to, to be able to get to that point. And so, no, it's not, our, it's not the uh, federal government's responsibility to bail out states. Those states are responsible for managing their own budgets and need to take a hard look at their budgets as we've done in Tennessee and cut. I think a great example kind of on a just moving down to more of a micro level is Nashville. Nashville, every every municipality in our state has been drilled uh, by this covid issue. And so Nashville gave four point nine million dollars in raises. They gave a one percent cola uh, increase, a one percent cost of living adjustment increase to all their employees. They did not cut expenditures in their raising taxes 34%. Mayor Jacobs furloughed 500 people, made significant cuts to, our, to uh, the county's budget, and did not raise taxes, which will allow Knox County to rebound so quickly from this mess. And those are the kind of things that, that have to be done, and most politicians, because it's not popular, are not willing to do those things, but we do that here in Tennessee. This is Jason Zachary. Jason, we're going to get to our last break. We come back, we're kind of running a little bit behind. We're just going to have a couple of quick minutes, but I would like to discuss what you're seeing with reopening and what you think about our plan to reopen and protecting the balance between health and lives versus the economy. So don't go away. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Thank you for listening to More Living with Jim Brogan. If you miss any of today's show or want to listen to it again, visit broganfinancial.com where you can access the podcast and other educational materials to help you in your journey through retirement. And now, here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living, Jim Brogan. We've been visiting with Jason Zachary, our Tennessee House a representative from West Knox County, and uh, we've been talking about the status of uh, kind of where we are with our budget. Jason, uh, we just have about a minute and a half left here, but uh, so uh, but quickly, tell us where we are on reopening and, and the importance, like, uh, you know, where's Knox County as opposed to what Governor Lee's doing for the rest of the state, and how do you see this evolving? Yeah, Jim, uh, well, Knox County is now moving. They're going to simply follow the guidelines of the governor. Um, I don't remember exactly when that date starts. It may have already started just for the for the simplification because there was so much confusion because Knox County has its own health department. Uh, so we were operating differently than the actual state, which the 89 counties are under the state health department. Six have their own health department. And so Knox County was operating differently, created confusion. So uh, everyone has agreed the state's going to operate under uh, the county is going to operate under state guidelines. But uh, I think our governor has done a phenomenal job. Uh, 
the toughest thing about this is that it's a moving target. Every week, and I was on many of those calls, the information he was given was changing. And so that's impossible as a leader to make a decision for 6.8 million people when information's changing every single week. And so we were one of the last to, the last to close. Uh, we were one of the first to reopen. We have one of the, the five lowest mortality rates from COVID. Uh, it's a challenge. Uh, we have to make sure we're protecting the elderly and those with with, uh, with autoimmune con- uh, conditions. But um, the reality, Jim, is it's here. Um, we our, our economy and families have been so impacted by this. We can't go backwards. We have to be careful and do what we need to do to protect ourselves and protect the elderly. But we got to make sure the economy hits it, hits its stride again. And in order to do that, we got to be fully up and running. We just got to be careful and be responsible on those who are elderly. And with those autoimmune issues, got to make sure they're protecting themselves. Well, uh, Tennessee Representative Jason Zachary, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know uh, uh, it's been great having you on today. Jim, man, it was great to be with you. It was great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. Uh, today we've been uh, many, many, many thanks to our esteemed guest, you, guests, U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn and Tennessee State Representative Jason Zachary. Uh, Thank you both so much for your public service. And today we've discussed really the the, the development of the country and the challenges we face and then also the local community because a greater country provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Thanks to Chris for running the board. Many thanks to Jill helping produce the show as you've been listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Have a very blessed weekend. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.